welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Proper Mental Podcast, episode 72. And my guest this week is Matt Stocks. Matt is a presenter, a DJ, an author, a podcaster, a writer, and all sorts of other things. I once heard Matt described somewhere as a a full-time creative hustler. And I really, really like that description of him. Um, I'm sure he'd agree with that as well. But Matt does a lot of stuff. He started out on Kerrang! Radio, and he's written for the likes of Classic Rock Magazine and Metal Hammer. And in about 2017, I think it was, he launched his own podcast, Life in the Stocks, which features in-depth and candid interviews with a huge range of creatives from across all sorts of different fields. And that's kind of how he got onto my radar, really. I've been a fan of Matt and his podcast since episode one. His his first episode was with Steve-O from Jackass, and I've been a fan ever since. He has really unusual guests. He books guests purely because he wants to, not for any other reason. And the conversations are so authentic and Matt has a way of just kind of just holding space that people just fall into. And he takes them into these really like deep conversations out of nowhere. And they're always a pleasure to listen to. There's loads of people in his back catalogue that you will have heard of. And there's loads that you won't have. And for me, some of the most interesting ones were people that I hadn't heard of. And I really, really enjoyed that. So it was an absolute pleasure to to talk to Matt and I wanted to chat to him specifically about the art of conversation, about being able to connect on that, that deeper level. And I think in the mental health conversation, we talk about talking all the time, but we don't really know how to do it. We don't know how to talk. We don't know how to listen. Most of our talking is is such surface level stuff. You know, we're great at talking about the football and the weather and politics and all that sort of stuff, but we never really drill down into the, into the deeper stuff, you know, the stuff that, that makes us what we are. And that's something that Matt does week in, week out on his podcast. So yeah, it was just wonderful to chat to him about all that sort of stuff. Like I mentioned before, Matt lives a very unconventional life and it was really cool to chat to him about that as well. I think from the outside looking in, you know, he's DJing, he's hosting Q&As, he's traveling all around the world with his bands and some of his musical heroes have just become like his best friends. And I think from the outside, that looks wonderful and there's a lot of wonderful aspects to it. But I think if you're going to live that sort of life, it comes with a lot of down points as well that maybe aren't so obvious. So it's great to to just to chat to him about this life that he's built for himself and, and the highs and the lows that come with that. We talk about his experiences with mental health. We talk about these amazing conversations that he has. We talk about the the writing of of his books, and yeah, it's just it's just wicked. It was a highlight for me. His his podcast has been a an influence on proper mental, you know, since day one, and uh, yeah, it was wicked for me to to chat to him. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. It's a deep one, but you'd expect nothing less from from Matt. If you want to see what he's up to, you can follow him on social media at Matt Stocks DJ. Both his books, uh, Life in Stocks, Voracious Conversations with Musicians and Creatives, Volumes 1 and 2 are out now. 
by the sound of things, they're going to be part of a series. So they're going to get up to about volume five. So now's a good chance to jump on board. I haven't got around to reading the second one. It is on my, my Amazon want list. I've read the first one and it's really good. If you're a fan of the podcast, if you're the fan of these deep and meaningful conversations and you'll really like it. Yeah. And if you like sort of rock and roll music and like loud punk stuff, yeah, you're going to dig that book. Go and check it out. You can check me out, problemmentalpodcast.com or at problemmentalpodcast in all the usual places. If you take two minutes to review this podcast on iTunes, it'd be very, very much appreciated. While you're on iTunes, you can also check out Life in the Stocks and Stoke the Fire, which are Matt's two podcasts. They're both very, very good. Leave a review for him too. That being said, this is episode 72 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Matt Stocks. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. And here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Matt Stocks. How are you, mate? And he is proper mental. <laughs> no joke. Uh, I'm good. Very well. I'd say nine out of ten. Uh, edging towards a ten. I'm actually working tonight at my friend's bar. Uh, and it's St. Patrick's Day. So I think it's going to be a good crowd. There's going to be some good music on. And it's going to be good fun. Uh, it's something I started doing when I moved to Bristol at the end of last year. Just for the social element, as much as anything else, like I feel like when you move to a new city, the best place to get to know new faces is in the pub, right? Um, and I'd done like a few months sober um, after moving here. So I was sort of like, well, if I'm not going to go out drinking, I'm still going to go out and I'm going to like get paid to be out, have fun, meet people. And uh, yeah, it's been awesome. So I've, you know, I haven't been working behind bars in 15 or 16 years. So to go back to where I, I guess, professionally started because my first ever jobs was in pubs. Um, it's been cool. Like the money is crap, uh, but <laughs> I, I'm not doing it for that. I'm just doing it for the social element. So, yeah. 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 How do you find it being back in that back world, but sober? Are you still not drinking, Matt? Is that still the case? Uh, I am no longer sober. No, um, I am. Uh, I don't really know what I am now. I mean, I'm going to go sort of to and from that lifestyle i think for the foreseeable future like months on weeks off um or the other way around depending on uh, weeks which whichever way you're on looking at the wagon i'll do extended periods dry and then when things come up where i feel like i want to indulge then i will and then i'll put the brakes on and jump back is it back on the wagon off the wagon i never know <laughs> which, sure which way the action goes but yeah i did four months basically completely clean of anything and uh and loved it loved every single second of it and then i reached a point where i was like i feel like i can have a drink again and enjoy that and so I've been enjoying um, several drinks over the last few weeks, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that as well. But last night was my last one uh, for a while because I've just got so much going on. I've got my book coming out. I've got a big tour coming up. Um, and I've just found, I sort of made this pact with myself in the pandemic that if I get to go on tour again, I'm not going to waste 90% of that experience hungover because that's what happens when you're on tour for multiple days and you're kind of staying up late every night and you're having drinks every night is you spend every day just dreading stage time and you have to like work yourself up to go out on stage by slamming some more i mean you don't have to but these are the cycles that you know people like myself find ourselves in 
Um, so I really made a pact with myself when tours and everything was taken away. I was like, if that comes back and I get to do that again, I'm going to make sure that I'm present in it and I enjoy it more. So, um, yeah, the plan is to do from, from this day, Patrick's day that I'm talking to you, uh, until the 23rd of April, uh, which is the last date of the tour I'm doing with Bowling for Soup. The plan is to go from now till then without a single drink. But in the middle of that is the Flogging Molly Cruise, which is an all-inclusive, free bar, unlimited alcoholic experience. So, I mean, I really want to do that sober because I think if I can do that sober, I can do anything sober. Um, and I have done DJ nights and I've done mini tours and I've done parties and like I've done all, I did a 10 day trip in Texas. I've done almost every variable sober now. So I've proven to myself I can do nearly all of it. So the flogging Molly Cruz is like the boss level. So <laughs> if I can complete that, then I know that I have complete restraint. I know that I can enjoy everything without alcohol. Um, and so then hopefully I know that I can introduce it and it's not the, you know, the be all or end all of that experience. Um, cause it's just the hangovers, man. I don't know how you feel about alcohol. How old are you as well? What's your, uh, I'm 40. Current... So yeah, yeah I'm okay. same, same ballpark. Yeah. So I've, uh, well, I've, I've don't drink at all. I've not had a drink for coming up on six years. Um, amazing mate. That's amazing. Yeah. It's good. Like for mental health reasons, really, it kind of, mm -hmm. um, uh, massively got in the way of me being well. Um, and I've been uh, there. yeah, yeah, I, I loved it. You know, I really enjoyed drinking. I think it was, it was great. Um, and for me, it just, yeah, it had to go and it never really came back, but I'm in a bit of a different position. I've got a young family and, um, just the opportunities to go out and drink aren't there so much for me now. So it's, I'm not like, I'm not, I don't have to make those decisions anymore. Cause it just, it's not really in my life. You know, I'm at a different stage, I suppose. Um, I'm off to, I'm down to, um, london in the summer for the pearl jam at hyde park and um that that'll be a big test for me because i haven't done a big outdoor <laughs> gig you know without booze so that'll be quite interesting to see whether i decide to have one or not but um i so see you haven't yeah. been to anything like that in the last six year period when you have been abstaining yeah nothing big i've been to like smaller gigs and stuff like that you know i've been to uh you know like stuff at the um you know just at the o2 and you know club like shows the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah club yeah. shows but none of the big ones i always think there's something a bit different when you're all when you're, everyone's on the train and you're all heading towards that that outdoor venue and everywhere you look a city seems to have been taken over by all the people in the t-shirts and your tribe and normally like I don't know if you feel part of a tribe, it's normally on a smaller scale and suddenly there's like a hundred thousand of you in your tribe and you're heading in the same direction. There's something about that in the air, isn't there? That kind of, uh, it just goes hand in hand with, uh, with enjoying a beer, right? Well, if you look at it like that, everything goes hand in hand with enjoying a beer. <laughs> and, th and this is like the mindset that I think has been really helpful for me is like realizing that you can break off from that trajectory in your brain which is taken over and telling you that to enjoy this experience to its fullest, you need to indulge in that because that's just the association that you have that's always been there. Everybody else is doing it. And you think by not, you're missing out. And um, that was why when I went to Texas recently um, to go out and meet like the, the team who run Hot Wheels Monster Trucks Live, because that's a random gig that I ended up landing at the end of last year, which I've just done um, this year and it's been incredible. So they flew me and my friend Alex Baker out <clears throat> excuse me, to see the show, meet the team. And I was like, wow, I'm going out to Texas. And, you know, the drinker in me was like, well, Texas is like one of the number one 
booze destinations in the world. You know, every bar there is open late. They've got live cowboy music. And it's just synonymous with part, especially Austin as a city. It's just like party central. It's catchphrase is keep Austin weird. And it's like just LA, but with a country flavor. It's such an amazing, fun, like wild, loose city. But I knew that if I could go there and not drink, that not only would I be like achieving something really awesome, but I could enjoy it because it's an amazing place. And so when you go to this festival, like you might feel for a second that fleeting feeling, you know, bubble up in you. But then you'll go, well, look, look at where I am. Look at what's around me. I don't need alcohol to enjoy this. And I think it was for me about putting myself in awesome situations and just enjoying the situation for what it was rather than letting alcohol cloud or in many cases, as I say, the hangover the next day spoil. You know, alcohol can really spoil your enjoyment of many things, um, not just kind of like your relationships and stuff in life if you make bad choices, but it can just kind of like um, dilute the purity of an experience when the experience on its own might actually be better than any drink. Um, and, you know, that, again, that could be any instance, whether it's like an interaction with a stranger or, you know, certainly when you become a father, I think I, I know in my heart if I ever became a dad, I just couldn't even bear the thought of being hung over around my kid that would just make me want to die just be the worst feeling in the world but luckily or unluckily I don't have that responsibility which I think has allowed me to get away with that kind of behavior for longer than than many of my friends but yeah it kind of just caught up on me so I think I'm always in a, in a dialogue with my relationship with it but I know that I can take months on end off and not miss it so now I'm okay with opening a bottle and not feeling guilty about that because i just know that i can put that cat back in there and continue without it for as long as needs be but for me there is just something about my personality which i find myself drawn um to like getting out of my head if you will um different experiences and that's why i like doing like things like water fasts and you know going completely like on a juice diet for a week or going completely vegan for a while I like doing different kind of experiments that put my mind in different places because for me as somebody who I'm presuming like yourself does have a, an inner demon and struggles with, with certain things, that doing things which are just different help get me out of my head and they help distract from sometimes like the, you know, the bad <laughs> thoughts that are always, always kind of there and it's nice to just do things that, switch where your focus is directed and so um alcohol obviously can be that in a good way but it can also be that in a really bad and destructive way too so it's just about walking that line for me at the moment but i figured out i can abstain the the next challenge is moderation that's the hardest of all yeah yeah we'll definitely. See. <laughs> that's it man that's it yeah i suppose it comes down to like you know, with a lot of those things you mentioned there, it's like, are you controlling it or is it is controlling you? And, you know, and a lot of the things you mentioned, like fasting, like trying alternative diets and stuff, it's about, it's playing around with the idea of control, isn't it? And when you have had to deal with mental health issues, there is a big feeling of not having control. And in a way, by doing some of these things, something like a fast, or also you can look at it with exercise as well. There's a certain element of almost controlling your suffering you know, of like putting you in the driving seat of it, which yeah. is very, very different to when someone else is driving that car and you're just suffering in the back, right? 
Yeah, and it's all a game, really. Like, I look at life as one big game, um, and you can either enjoy it and participate, be like an active participant, or you can sit back and, and say, you know, I don't like the life that is occurring all around me, but, you, well, then be an agent in change. And, you know, and it's not always as easy as that when you feel totally low and crippled and broken inside. Sometimes it is hard to get out of that just, like, inner headspace and switch up your mindset and your lifestyle and everything but i've just found that any kind of action is is good um within reason don't go out and hurt anyone <laughs> you know any any kind of action that isn't hurting anybody else is good uh, for getting you out of that slump and like just onto the next thing yeah yeah very much so Has that, have you always been sort of interested in this slightly um nomadic creative existence that you uh that you live now is that always kind of in your in your dna what makes you say that i live a nomadic creative <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of out there isn't it for all to see that's an observation that uh many people have made and yeah i i think i truly have i think as far back as i can remember the people who always fascinated me were people who were out of step with normal quote-unquote society and were doing things a little bit different and just conducting themselves a little bit differently out there in the world. And that always fascinated me because I'd always look at those people and go, you seem to be truly free. And that was always what I craved and desired above all other things was like a sense of freedom. Um, and I do feel like with the rise in technology, as you all have known too, being almost the same age as me, a little bit older, when we were younger, social media and technology wasn't a thing in our lives you know we would be out we would just be engaged in like social activity and exploration and experience and there was no distraction there was no posting about it or trying to document it or you know like filter any elements it was all you were just in it and then as we got older this new narrative creeps in and i feel like everybody who's suckered into that world is just not free at all um and, you know, when you host a show like you do and I do, you have to try and rely on these platforms to promote and it can be really beneficial and awesome. But I do feel like there's the negative side of social media that's really just about like grabbing people and sucking them into this matrix where everything is like pressurized and, and you know, there's expectation and there's self-doubt and all these things creep in. And I, my some of my favorite people and some of the people that I see to be the happiest are the ones that are just like not on any social media don't fuck with that shit at all and they're just in life living it loving it um and so to bring it back to the work thing i think that whenever i had part-time jobs i always enjoyed the experience of teaming up with other people and collaborating and working and socializing with people i love people and i always have but i always hated bosses and i don't know whether it's just because i got unlucky and all of my bosses growing up were all cunts but I just felt like people of authority, it was like it bred either bred a certain type or it was just attracted a certain type and they were already that way. But I just didn't like them. And I didn't like, it wasn't even that I didn't like being told what to do. I just hated the hypocrisy and the, the bureaucracy of a lot of these institutions, be it school, be it just like, you know, the kind of pecking order of, of business politics um, and the kind of, games that you have to play that you, you know aren't fun games or games that you've chosen to take place um so take part in they're just enforced games that oh i have to you know speak towards this person with 
reverence just because he's my superior in this little structure that society's made over here. And I just found myself rebelling against it super early on and kicking back and just being like, no, I don't like this at all. Which is strange because I've always loved my teachers and I've always gotten on well with like parents. So elders I've always looked up to and actually connected with more than people my own age. But it's just something about positions of authority that just rubbed me up the wrong way from as long as I can remember. So yeah, I've always tried to create a professional life that has no boss, um, that has no company that I have to answer to. Um, there's no kind of party line that I have to tow. There's nobody that I'm subservient to. It's just me out there in the world kind of doing whatever I want, whenever I want, again, within reason, as long as yeah. most of it's legal. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, mate. And then it's freedom, man, and then it is, and it comes at a cost, you know, because I'm constantly broke and I'm constantly having to hustle and chase the next gig. And it's, you know, it's damaged for sure my like relationships and my ability to be in meaningful long-term relationships because I'm so used to living, you know, marching to the beat of my own drum and, and just picking up and, and going off and doing whatever I want to do whenever that opportunity comes up. So there's definitely a downside and it's not all fun and games, but I just think that I'm better suited to this kind of a life and it makes me happier um, than the alternative, which I see and I love so many of my friends have found true happiness in a kind of more straightforward full-time job, mortgage wife, family situation. And they're just like totally grounded and content and secure financially and also emotionally. And I see the awesome benefits to that kind of a life, but it's never appealed to me. Like I've never looked at it and gone, man, I really want that. I've gone, I've, I'm glad that my friends have got it, but I'm still having fun over here and I want to keep doing this for at least for now. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think like if you, if you can live that sort of like more traditional life, then that's great. And if you can't and you try to, it will break you like this. You can't, if you try and crowbar yourself into that life, some people can do it and some people just can't. And that's not, you know, it's not good or bad on either side, but it won't work for you long-term if you try and live a, a different life. And one thing that I was thinking then when you were chatting, it's something I think about myself quite a lot. Um, you know, there are some similarities, what we do. I'm a creative person. I work for myself. Um, and the reason I'm good at what I do, I think sometimes also leaves me open to struggling with my mental health. So it's like a, it's like a oh, gift and a curse at the same the two time. two are right? completely intertwined. Yeah, completely. I feel like if you are a creative, you're also prone to depression for sure. Um, just cause your, your mind's open and it's like, it's pulsating with the rhythm of life. And not to be mean, but there are definitely people out there that are less evolved, let's say, and they're just totally stoked. Like they don't have these flummoxes in emotion and they don't feel these crippling, like inner anxieties chipping away at their soul because they're just like, they're not aware that there's a bigger picture going on, blissfully ignorant. Um, and that's awesome too. Like I wish, <laughs> I do wish I could be that because I wouldn't know anymore, you know? People say, oh no, you wouldn't because then you, and it's like, no, but if I was less aware, then I wouldn't be, I wouldn't feel the need to be more aware because I don't have that awareness to begin with. And I'm just there in my temple of contentment. Um, and yeah, it's, but, but you know, it's all I know, it's all you know, and it is the fuel that drives us on. And it, it's also the reason for everything I think with me and perhaps with you that it's the source of everything that's good in my life too. Yeah. If I've got to have the the bad to have 
the good, then I'll take it. You know, that, that it works for me and I'm willing to walk, walk that line. And, you know, like the conversations that you have on your podcast and, you know, you can only go to those levels of openness, those, the depth of those conversations, if you're willing to feel all the feelings and the emotions that come with that, you know, you can only connect to people on that level if you're willing to, to go there and meet them there. Right. So there has to be, you have to give a bit of, of yourself to create that space, isn't it? That's just kind of, that's it. It's just part of the deal, right? That's the deal you make. <laughs> yeah. And you raise an interesting point there that you can only really connect with people that are able in their psyche or their soul or wherever you think it comes from to get to that same level as you. And there's been relationships in my past that haven't worked out, I think, just because I'm such an overthinker and I just, I exist in that deep terrain and they haven't, and they haven't been able to understand like the kind of you know, emotions and feelings that I've been wrestling with. And ultimately that's caused a wedge. And, you know, there's kind of pain that comes with that. But then there's also, I think over time, a realization that you mentioned the word tribe earlier. And I, I don't feel a part of any tribe and never have. And I quite like being a loner and, you know, out of step with all tribes, even good ones. But I do think there is a kind of a, an interconnectivity that does bond people of a certain outlook and mindset which goes above certainly above politics and religion but it also goes above like taste and music and, and fashion sense and diet and every detail that goes above them like you're not linked in any way other than your ability to recognize in each other an emotional intelligence and, and, and you can just instantly jam with someone no matter what their background or beliefs if they are in the same way as you thinking about life in a certain way because then you can have those discussions and then with those other people who aren't dwelling in that deep water you just can't connect with them you know you can try and there's been interviews where i've really tried to like coax out of the guests something that i feel might be there inside them because of either art that they put out or you know just a reputation they might have or whatever it is i'm like there must be some kind of depth to this person and maybe they're just totally like hiding it it is there they just don't want to show it but there has been a couple of occasions where you're like really chipping away and trying to find that connection. And then you just realize, oh, it's not there. We're not in that same plateau and that's fine. Yeah. You, you accept it and you move on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Is that, do you find like having those in-depth conversations and connecting to people that that's like a positive for your mental health? Because in the mental health space, it's, we talk about talking all the time, right? And how important it is to talk. And there is something really human about connecting in that way that you've just just described and do you find you get as much out of it as like as the people listening to it do probably way more um i think i only make my podcast first and foremost for myself like totally again like i love everybody who listens to my show and supports it but i would still do it if nobody did and i certainly don't make it for anybody else other than myself and i make it for my need to connect and my need to explore and discover and just do what we're doing right now just like you know with a complete stranger sit down for the first time ever and just like get to stuff which you don't talk to your friends or family about in some instances for like years you know it's so funny i think to me for me like when you interview someone or you're even being interviewed the caveats there that for me this isn't for everybody but for me it's like all topics are, are on the table um and i'll keep pulling those topics until one comes up and they go no and I'll never do that in a way that's aggressive or disrespectful or insensitive. I'll try to do it in a way that, you know, is gentle and understanding and supportive and is only going to show them in a good light. But I'll just keep pulling those cards until they say, you know, 
hold or whatever you say in pontoon <laughs> Twi- twist stick, stick. Um, i'll just keep twisting and um yeah there's just something magical that happens it's like being on a date you know and i don't date i should date i think i'd be an awesome data and i really should go on dates but i think it's just a time factor for me i don't i look at the idea of sitting down with a stranger in a personal context and i just think in my heart like if they're going to be dull or we don't connect what a awful waste like a heartbreaking waste of time that is and i could have been doing something so much more meaningful but maybe that's my own fear holding me back because you know sometimes you can do like a very average interview and you think like ah oh. but then i guess you go well that was work so it's justified but i guess i just can't justify small talk or boring talk with a stranger if it's not for a you know quote-unquote professional end but i do feel like whenever i sit down to talk with anyone in a non-romantic way but you know it's a similar scenario to a date because you're trying to like bring out the best in each other and you really want it to gel you really want it to jam you want it to work you're like eager for that to happen as the host at least you know not all guests as you have probably discovered in your journey as well as as me and everybody else who does this is the hosts are always the one driving it and I mean, if if you've ever been in a situation where you have an unenthusiastic host, that is like the most soul-destroying thing in the world. Could you imagine if you're an artist and you, you're going through the press cycle and you just get a host that doesn't want to be there? Like, it's crippling enough when the guest doesn't want to be there and you have to keep fighting for it. But if the host doesn't want to be there and doesn't care, then you're like, what? what is life? How did I end up here? And that's how I look at dating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? A tricky one, I suppose. Like, I don't know. How long have you been? How long have you been with your partner? Oh, a long time, about <laughs> fifteen years. It's been a okay. long time since so I've date, had to worry dating about dating for you is yeah. like an alien, not really. alien concept because there's apps now that match people up, and that's insane. Like, I've never been on them, but I love the idea of it. I love just the the quick, the rapidity of it. You know, it's like I'm not going to mess about with trying to meet someone in the world. I'm just going to go on my computer or phone as was now the thing. So I'm showing my age there. And uh, you can just like window shop for prospective partners. But that as well as being awesome also for me does seem really like contrived and clinical and like kind of bleak. Yeah, yeah, it's like something off uh, some sort of utopian movie that we might have watched when we were teenagers, right? Set in like 2025. And mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I watched like... her. Have you seen the Spike Jones film? Her? I haven't. No, man, you got to watch. It's on Netflix. I watched that last night, funnily enough. And it's about a guy played by Wacken Phoenix who falls in love with his operating system. So he's dating his computer essentially. And he has like an earpiece that he puts in. So she's in his head and <coughs> they communicate. And, you know, they have like phone sex and they do like physical stuff as well as as emotional and spiritual stuff but it's a really beautiful and quite heartbreaking story and you can kind of see like when i'm watching it last night i was thinking i would actually happily fall in love with my operating system because there's just something there about the the bond that they share which is above anything that he's found with a human in his life and i don't think there's anything bad about that and i can kind of in a really really loose way relate to it because i spent six months of last year in a relationship with a girl who was living in america and we'd never met and so all of our you know dialogue and and, and communication was over facetime zoom phone text um and that was it 
and we didn't meet for six months. And then when we did meet, it didn't work out. So I can kind of relate to this idea of like a distant thing, because if we'd have never met, I think I could have happily just stayed with her forever in the situation that we had, the way that the connection was. It was beautiful. It was like everything that I ever wanted from a relationship, apart from the fact that we never saw each other. And then we did see each other and it didn't work out. And I was like, it's really interesting. But uh, the the thing that f- the flaw with his ultimate kind of connection w- with the OS system <laughs> is that she, when, when or, she, you know, it, however you want to define it, when the OS discovers what love is through this human, she then, you know, has to grow and go beyond because she's a computer and she's not human. And so they're having this moment. And he's like, hold on, do you talk to other people when you're talking to me? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, how many are you talking to right now? And she's like, 8,000. And he's like, and how many of them are you in love with? And she says, 600. And, you know, you imagine that. It's like, my girlfriend is cheating on me with 600 people right now. And that obviously crushes him and he, and he can't get over that. And it, so it does have, you know, a, a kind of a heartbreakingly sad ending. But there's definitely a window of time there, as I had with, with my American partner, um, where it was just bliss. It was perfect. And then real life came into the equation and it didn't work out, yeah, which is real. A, a huge shame. Mate, real life has a habit of doing that, right? You know, it just <laughs> never a truer word, man. <laughs> yeah, that's just how it how it plays out, you know. Yeah, but you know, sort of. I suppose speaking of real life, is um, is your mental health something that you've always had to be aware of? Is that something that's been a part as long as you've been this, you know, this creative person on this on this mission to design your own life? Has that kind of ran alongside that and interweaved with it along that path? Yeah, I think so. My mum's my bipolar. And so I grew up from as early as I can remember with her having really severe, like psychotic episodes and having to be sectioned several times a year, every year throughout my whole life. So it was always there in like a very stark and brutal um, form. But it didn't really manifest within me until my mid mid 20s. When life became hard, essentially, and, and I, this is why my heart breaks beyond all belief for kids who struggle with depression, because no kid in the world, you know, and this is a, a very idealistic view, because obviously there are people out there who have abusive home situations, and there's kids living out there hungry and on the street. So obviously life from day dot can be brutal. But if you just even have, like, even with my upbringing, I had a very tough home situation and there was a lot of pain and a lot of trauma and a lot of bad shit going on but i was still a happy kid because i was able to just engage with life in a joyful way through friends and through activity and socializing and you know music and movies and even exercise back then it's been a long time but so i was a totally happy kid totally happy teenager went through school went through college went through even university just happy really positive Really, I think because I had been through bad stuff, I knew how lucky I was for all of the good that I had. So I was always just like, life's not bad, it's hard, and it just makes you appreciate, you know, the good stuff even more. But then something happened in my mid-20s, I think, where just like the crushing reality of responsibility and uncertainty, because everything was mapped out for me before. You know, it was just you go from the next school to the next school to college and then university, and there's never really anything to worry about. You know, you kind of got everything sort of sorted. Again, if you're lucky enough to have at least one parent who who can provide care and stuff, you've always got a roof and food. And then you, you know, you hit adulthood 
if you will, I guess early 20s maybe isn't still yet adulthood, but you think it is. The world tells you you're now an adult. You've got to go out, fend for yourself, feed yourself, and also figure it out. Figure out what it all means. What's your purpose? What's your place? And I just did not know where to go after university. And I just had no clue. Like the world just seemed like this unfathomable maze as much in my own mind as the outside world. But, you know, it was a tough time when I graduated. It was like credit crunch year. So it was like, you know, and I did an English literature degree. So there's like, there's no jobs, like the country's on its knees. Um, I had a totally useless degree, <laughs> which I loved doing. And I'm now so thankful that I did it because it gave me the critical and creative skills to do everything that I now do well. But at the time, it was like, I'm just an unemployable lost soul along with everybody else in my generation i don't think i was unique in that situation but yeah it began to get tough from then i think which is then when the kind of amplification set in and i turned up that whole idea of needing to be free and needing to be like the master of my own destiny and not let anything else control or be like the determiner of my quality of life beyond my own resources and so that was kind of immediately from from that moment on was like it felt like me against the world from that moment on and it has until now it still does like there's there's people out there who are allies and you know someone like yourself who's invited me onto your show to give me a platform to talk that I'd never take that for granted I'm grateful and I'm you know humbled by it but when you do operate in the lane that I do which is a very solitary you know one man kind of a role um, you can't help but sometimes feel like it is you against the world. And that gives you strength and it gives you drive and it gives you strength and kind of like the the grit that you need to, to keep going. But it does also create in you this sense of like, fuck, if only I just had like a team of people that had my back. And then maybe no one has my, And then you start tripping on all these thoughts, you know. Um, yeah. That's a very long answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, but, no, I think like any... Um any scenario in life where you kind of there's almost an element of feeling trapped right so i sometimes feel like i have to kind of live in this way i have to express myself in this way and like we kind of touched on before you know it would be easier if you didn't have to and so when you find like you find yourself in a position where you feel like you know i can't go back you know i can't take a step back i can't go and do something else i have to do this but right now in this moment it doesn't feel like this is working this feels really really hard that kind of being stuck where you can't go forward and can't go back that's one of the most, that's one of the hardest places to be. I think, you know, when you're, you're in your own head and you're trapped and you can't, and you can't move, that's, that's tough, right? That's really, really tough. That's kind of why I've taken a break from, from both of my podcasts. Um, you know, just kind of timed out that our contract was up with Gas Digital um, for Stoke the Fire, the show that I do with Jesse Leach. So that was on a network in the States. And after a year, the contract ran out. And we decided we weren't going to renew it um, because we just felt like if we went independent, we could set up a Patreon page. The community that we've built might be, you know, more inclined to support us via there than by giving money to the network because um, that's kind of how they, you know, work the monetization situation side of things. So we broke free from them after 50 episodes and we were like, well, let's hit pause whilst we figure out what's next. And then that exactly coincided with when I'd done... 250 episodes of my own show life in the stocks and so i was like this feels like a perfect time to break from both because i'd been feeling in my heart for a while like i wasn't fully invested in my show life in the stocks to the fullest and kind of you know most 
committed sense that I require of myself. Like nobody who listened to the show would have hopefully noticed that, but I could feel over the last kind of month, maybe two, my enthusiasm wane um, only because all of these other areas of my life were bringing in money and revenue and like means to exist and, and be fulfilled and also just survive. Whereas life in the stocks hasn't yet, even after five years of doing it and like, you know, making waves and, and like, you know, having a, a reputation as a solid interviewer, the show hasn't been, I wouldn't call it successful. It hasn't allowed me to make money off it or monetize it in a way that is, um, you know, at least just a livable wage, just a basic livable wage. And that after five years does begin to chip away at you and you think, well, why bother, you know? And then as everything else around me was flowering and growing, like my DJ work, my live event hosting work, the Stoke the Fire podcast, the books, which were a direct result of the podcast, but there was something else. All of these things were springing from life in the stocks that were bringing not just money, but meaning and value to my life. And so I had an inner battle with myself because I was like, this is the thing that started it all. But now at this stage that I'm at, it doesn't seem to be doing anything other than just ticking along and so i just needed to hit pause on it i think to rejuvenate my own interest and passion for it because it has to be that first and foremost like i don't just want to keep churning out episodes to keep up with the you know the constant flurry of episodes from all other shows like i you know there's many conversations that i've had with people when they've looked really surprised that i've decided to take a break like as if by doing so i'm going to fall behind and it's like, well, if I do, then so be it. But for me, I would sooner just hit pause, stop, take stock, no pun intended, and, uh, you know, come back stronger and better when I'm in a place where I feel like I can bring my A game once again because I just didn't feel like I was bringing my A game because I didn't love it as much as I used to. Yeah. So I was, and it was just ironic because I just got nominated in this best podcast category. Um, the Heavy Music Awards, which is happening in May. And uh, I was like, isn't it ironic that I've been working away? And again, the universe shows you these signs, I think. Like, I've been doing it for five years constantly. Maybe I'll have a month off here, a month off there. But constantly for five years, I've been doing it. No recognition from any kind of, like, industry, you know, group or, or award ceremony or anything like that. And then the minute I stop, they go, oh, yeah, this is the best podcast out there. We're going to give you this thing. And maybe I feel like that's like every time I try and get out, they keep pulling me back in kind of thing. <laughs> but it did. It made me for the first time in a long time feel really proud of that show. Um, and again, that's crazy to say, because like, as we talk now, I'm a week away from releasing the second book, which is based on that show. So it's been a huge success. You know, there's very, very few podcasts out there that have led on to even a book, let alone two. So in that sense, it has been awesome. But I just again being in your own head not seeing it in that way getting you know kind of just consumed by the negative rather than celebrating the positive it's led me to that headspace where i'm like i need to stop doing this thing for a bit and i'm so glad that i did because since stopping doing it i feel totally liberated and i can feel in the back of my head like that hunger slowly starting to bubble away and come back which is a beautiful feeling because it's been a while since I've had it. And, and when it does, that's when I'll jump into booking loads of amazing interviews with amazing people. But until then, and this is like the only, maybe the third or so podcast I've done in a, you know, a matter of months. And that's 
that used to be like three in a day used to be my my routine you know so it's also i think sometimes and you do see it with people like a joe rogan or a mark less less i think less so mark Marin, but with someone like a joe rogan if you are just talking all the time all the time all the time your words and your thoughts and your perspective i think begin to devalue because on the one hand you might be seen to be keeping them fresh by talking to all these different people all the time and keeping those tools sharp but at the same time you can oversaturate yourself and i was doing two podcasts you know both weekly for a quite for a year i'd been doing my own show for four years before but then for a year i was doing two podcasts every week and like you know working my ass off on both of them and not really receiving money from either of them and was just like this has to be building somewhere it gets to a point i think where anyone in life you have to at some point get some kind of a reward for your work before you begin to like you know crumble <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely feel like you don't have any self-worth and your worth isn't defined by that but and you know that in your heart you, you know it's not but at a certain point if that reward isn't presented after all of that hard work and recognition in other avenues but not in the one that means the most which is i need to eat i need to live i need to pay rent yeah so yeah the hiatus has been amazing it's been really valuable and um it's kind of provided me with everything i hoped it would which was perspective which is everything yeah yeah that's really good to hear man and i think like that's a really nice metaphor for life in general like knowing when something doesn't feel right and making hard decisions sometimes we have to do it's really easy to keep doing something that you feel attached to for whatever reason it's hard to say do you know what i'm going to take a break and we do worry about falling behind or losing an audience or you know all this sorts of stuff but that stuff tends to be more just worry right that's like a, a form of anxiety talking and i think when you step back from something make that decision and it's the right one you know instantly don't you you get that feeling of ah oh, that was a decision that had to be made and i made the right call you know and i think that's we need to go through life sometimes looking for these opportunities to take a step back and to take you know to use your phrase take stock and have a look around and just kind of let it let it breathe and um who knows what's going to pop up in those gaps as well that's really exciting i think you know it starts what, what off monster trucks did hosting hot wheels monster trucks live is what popped up in that which is the highest paid most incredibly awesome gig i've ever done in my life and that's exactly what came in that exact window which shows that everything has been leading in the right way but sometimes you do have to know your worth and you do and also like capitalism is a big thing in all of this like capitalism as a concept teaches you that the idea of breaking or stopping or slowing down is like the worst thing in the world you know it's just go it's faster it's more and all that leads to is people who burn out and fucking just, you know, they get sad or they go down bad paths they're relying on. You know, maybe it starts as loads of coffee and the next thing you know, it's loads of cocaine. And it's like, it's whatever you can like put in your body to keep you going, to keep you performing, to keep you delivering. And ultimately, what are you feeding? Like, what are you working towards if not for your own quality of life? Yeah. That's, again, that thing of like not being suckered into that fucking, that rigged game. Uh, and just fighting against that and if you you know if you feel yourself in a position where you know either you're not being valued or respected or you just don't feel fulfilled like your energy could be better placed somewhere else then take that moment i'm not going to say take stock again i can't say a sector <laughs> take that moment to look around and think well what could i be doing differently 
that's going to make my life better, that's going to improve the quality of not just my own happiness, but everyone around me as well, so I can function as the best version of myself. And sometimes taking a break is exactly the key. But society, because of capitalism, teaches us to not do that. And that's kind of, I think, a really important theme, isn't it, with, with mental health at the moment, is like, yeah, you've got to take breaks and stuff for your own mental health. And it sounds like such a easy prescription to happiness. And it's not, you know. But it is a very, very valuable um, choice that is yours that you should be, I believe, encouraged to make if it is the right one for you. And don't worry about, you know, falling behind or, or unless, you know, you literally, but then this is when it gets really tricky, unless you literally have to make rent and you have to keep doing that one gig that you hate to keep feeding your family. That's when, you know, you get into kind of grayer areas. But I do believe where there is a will, there's a way and you can always find something more suited to you you know even if the pay is the same but it's just a more enjoyable role and because money is not everything um money to me is literally a means to survive first and foremost and then buy and have fun they're the two planes like the first one is essential next one's a bonus and then anything above that i've never had but then i guess that's what they call savings which to me is like the most alien concept of all time but yeah i just think that Everybody who um, can relate to what I've just been saying, if they're yet to do it, please do just like slow down, take a breath and, and see what else is out there for yourself and try not to ever feel too trapped in. And, the, you know, the trap could be good, you know, like, woe is me. I'm doing this really fun podcast with all my heroes. What an awful position to be in. But, you know, it's I, and again, this is the other thing of like the overactive mind is always wanting more and that's not greed that's not like i want more assets it's just i, I want like more to, there has to be more to life than this and always feeling like there's more and you're not quite getting it and you're not quite experiencing it and wanting to so looking at you know ways in which you can then do you ever truly settle i don't know yeah i suppose it's working out with anything like is the juice worth the squeeze right you know like that's what it what comes down to at the, yeah. what a great phrase that is <laughs> was, amazing. Yeah. mate it was either that or i was gonna go with like you know how much too much stick and not enough carrot that was the other one i considered but um yeah, remind that's... me of that again i need to let that sink into my brain is the juice worth the squeeze is the juice worth the squeeze beautiful yeah. i don't know how i've never heard that before that is incredible oh mate (laughs) you can have it there you go but um it's like i think when we talk about mental health it's really easy to say when you're talking about trying to look after and improve your mental health is we always focus on a lot of the surface stuff you know like go for a run you know eat do yoga meditate whatever and you know all these things are really important they're good for us but a lot of the stuff you mentioned then you know taking a break when's the last time you did something that lit you up you know when's the last time you spent time connecting with people on a deep level when's the last are you living authentically you know what what do you want for yourself and it doesn't have to be work it doesn't have to be a relationship it doesn't have to be something massive it can be something really small you know it can be like a little project you work on smaller the better if anything because it's more attainable and authenticity you mentioned there is such an important word to me and like everybody's own sense of authenticity is is you know the meaning is distinct to them and their interpretation of it and their embodiment of it but I think there's such a lack of it in, in today's world. And, and I think it is the root cause and core of a lot of unhappiness. 
is like who do you trust because everybody's there's such like a kind of overriding tone of insincerity with social media especially um and you just crave you want to be around fellow authentic human beings but then you know then the ground is stable you know your footing is steady and you know like i'm surrounded by good people here and if you know you're in your core living a good life and trying to be a, a better person and everybody around you sees you truly sees you then it's then i think it is very hard to then become depressed and unhappy because it really is as basic as that you just want people want to just be seen at least i do i just want to be seen for who i am you know not what people think i might be and i just want to be like respected in the way that i would respect you if you were as authentic and kind of truthful towards me as i'm trying to be to you um and it really is like without going too hippie you break it down like that that for me is the true secret and cure to all of it is just trying to like live a truthful and and humble life where you're just trying to be the best person and, and just you know be good to those around you um, and if you can just receive that as well as give it then there's not much else you need other yeah. than a bed and some food that's it man and that's hard to do isn't it society kind of wants to put you in a box and you know particularly like something I found with my mental health you know when I was younger and I was struggling and I, I didn't realize it at the time it was only like afterwards you know when I kind of sorted through all this stuff is I just thought I was a little bit different to everyone else I thought I was a little bit of a weirdo and everyone was the same so it became my life's work to hide that to right. hide so people would never know that I you know, that I thought these deep thoughts that I wanted to be creative and connect and all these things. I saw it as like a weakness. So I hid it. And it's very difficult, isn't it? To, to sort of like, just be yourself completely. It took me a long time. I'm still learning. I'm still not there, but you know, it's a long time to really sort of, yeah, just completely unplug and say, this is me and I'm going to live life on, on my terms. It's, it's hard, right? Yeah, it is. It's, it's challenging, but it's an honorable pursuit. And um, I think everybody who finds it hard, they only find it hard because they've set that high bar for themselves because they really want to get there and they want to keep striving and, you know, going after something that's that's better and, and sort of more um, more rich than where they're at uh, or at least more evolved or, you know, more connected. Um, so it does seem like a bit of a kind of a, you know, a struggle sometimes, but it's an honorable pursuit. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. You mentioned your, um, your book before Matt, and I was quite interested in the the process of you putting that together because you've, you have all these collections of conversations and you've said before, like how much you get from them. And that must've been quite a trip to like root back through things and look at things, you know, if someone, if you spoke to someone like a couple of years ago, your views have changed and some, maybe something someone said, now means so much more and was it a bit of a a sort of yeah was it like a quite a big thing for you like personally to like sift through all that stuff and kind of you know get back into it with a different perspective it's it's hellish <laughs> um and i haven't learned my lesson because i'm doing the exact same thing right now with stoke the fire as we go through or i go through cheers jesse um all our entire archive to put all the old episodes which were behind the paywall on gas we're putting them on all the public platforms for free so i'm in the process at the moment of just making sure that they're all kind of like ready for broadcast so i'm doing the same thing and, and that's like the level of depth and intensity with those conversations is so brutal that it's like every single one is like whew, you really have to like prepare 
before you walk into it. Um, I shouldn't say like that. Actually. That makes it sound like a really unlistenable show. It's only that way because I'm involved and I'm, you know, exposing myself in such a way. And it's really fucking intense listening back. I don't mind listening to the sound of my voice or like my laugh or I don't have insecurities or hang-ups in terms of, like, oh, God, I can't stand myself. But <clears throat> when you do go as deep as, for instance, we're going now, like I probably won't listen back to this, no disrespect to you. It's just, you know, this is proper. This is like real talk. And it's like, I just, whenever I hear myself back when we're getting this kind of deep, I always go, oh, I shouldn't have said that or I said too much there. And, you know, it just becomes too much for me. But with my show, um, it wasn't so much what was being said within the shows that was problematic or troublesome for me. What was really tough with going back through life in the stocks was when I listened to a certain episode, I would know exactly where I was in my overall state of mind at that exact moment in time. And a lot of it in the first six to 12 months in particular was not very good. So going, <laughs> we were in lockdown, so we were locked up, caged up. Uh, and on the one hand, having this project saved my sanity. Um, but on the other hand, it really drove me even more into the insane asylum because and these are choices that I made which weren't necessarily good ones. Well, they weren't good ones. But I was like, it's my first book. Hunter S. Thompson's my favorite writer. It's my chance to be Hunter S. Thompson. So it's just all day was just like, would wake up and have vodka and whiskey for, for breakfast and we'd just drink all day whilst transcribing. And, you know, there'd be cocaine and LSD and, and other like gnarly substances in the mix. And I was just going for it. And so, you know, it's this kind of pressure cooker of in a pandemic high as fucking balls going through a really dark, really difficult time in my life. And like just living in that space, it was torturous, <laughs> truly, truly torturous. Uh, it was a trip and it was valuable. It was really valuable to see how far I'd come in some ways. Um, so with the second book, I wrote every single word, like every single letter of the second book, I wrote a hundred percent sober. I went for a completely different approach and that's why it took me nine months as opposed to three. Because the first book, I just fucking bashed out like a madman. Um, and it was, yeah, it was pretty horrible. But, I, I, you know, what I had at the end of it was worth it. It was totally, in that case, the juice was worth the squeeze. Um, and with the second book, it was a totally more kind of just conscious, healthy, therapeutic process. There was definitely like a therapeutic element to the first one, but it's more like a purge. You know, it's more like a, just a really hardcore, intense, violent purge. The second one was more like walking through those steps that I'd sort of teetered around with the first book or just pissed on um, and then actually like understanding them more. And so, yeah, after writing the second one, just feeling so much more at ease with who I am and where I'm at and what I've been through. Um, it was a, a very rewarding and so I can see totally why people keep diaries. Um, you know, a lot, it depends how self-aware you are or how comfortable you are with going back and being reminded of how you felt. Um, but I found that revisiting those darker periods in my life was amazing for my mental health because you have to occasionally look back to how bad things were to remind yourself how good they are now. And that's another thing about perspective is you might wake up one day and feel, you know, kind of groggy and a little bit bummed out and just like not really jazzed about your situation and where you're at. But then you can look back to somewhere far, far worse 
and you can go, oh, this is this is actually every. If you could have told me then that I would be here now, that would be like everything I would want. And again, it's having this ability to have these discussions with yourself to remind yourself of how far you've come and how actually what you have right now is kind of everything at a certain point you ever wanted. So there must be some sense of gratitude and contentment in that moment. If there's not, maybe you had the wrong dreams all the way back then, but probably not because it's, you know, it's still you. It's still your vision for where you want to be in life. And so I would advise if you can to go back and look at old photos and you know anything you have in your life that's a document of a time when you weren't that happy as difficult as it'll feel going back and seeing those places uh, and even sometimes just the physical appearance that you see you know especially if you've been like going through phases of alcoholism or drug addiction and stuff you can go back and just look into the eyes of that person that you were at that point and just see that that person is lost and so now you go well it's not great life but it's it's pretty good and pretty good is, I think, a good level to exist at. If you can exist in the pretty good level, um, then I would say that's as good as we can hope for. Great is like a bonus, isn't it? Great's the cherry on top, but pretty good is basic level. Yeah, definitely. And I always think it's important to remember is that like as a human, we're supposed to have good times and bad times. We are supposed to feel a bit shit sometimes. And it's very easy if you've got a, a history of mental ill health to kind of wake up on one of those groggy days and just kind of assume that you're in something or about to slide into something. And you say, well, no, hang on. This isn't it. This is, you know, it's finding like what is depression? What is that pit? And what is just being a human who's having a shitty day? Because there is a there is a difference. And but you kind of see the wood through the trees yourself when it's happening to you right it can be too easy to kind of expect the worst to look out for the worst all the um all the time but i never really um i love what you're saying there about the book mate because i never thought of it from that point of view from like your own looking back through your own story through the stories of others man that's like uh yeah that's really uh, meta that, isn't it <laughs> mate yeah yeah but that, that was completely it because when i launched the show about two months into the launch well two months into the lifespan of the show, my relationship with my partner at that time began to fall apart. And so I had to relive that breakup basically again through, because I was talking about the breakup in conversations with people in a couple of instances, but mainly it was just like, I could just hear in my voice and in certain things like, oh fuck, that's what happened that exact day. Like, and my head just immediately went back to that fight we had that morning or you know whatever it was. And it was so like visual and, and kind of just high def. And, and I'm not the best when it comes to memory because I'm always trying to look forward. And so often people will go, hey, remember this time two years ago? And I'll be like, no, I don't. But then with this, it was so like crystal clear, just like the emotions and the everything was like totally <laughs> reinforced and kind of like represented and and yeah it was it was really hardcore but then as i said that you get past that and then you go oh the second one now there's i'm in a better place in my life because the second one kind of covers from i think it's the second to the third year so there's still like the fourth and the fifth to do um but again you kind of i was in like the cool mid zone with the second one where I was like, and then things get really great actually in the next couple. So I'm actually super looking forward um, to writing the third, what will be the third and final um, of the American trilogy. And then I'll do one more, which will be like a big compendium of all the British, like the best British ones. That's kind of the plan is I want to do four books 
from Life in the Stocks as it stands um, at 250 episodes. And then maybe, see, I don't know what I'm going to do next yet. Maybe I'll continue with the show just as the same name, pick it up from episode 251, or maybe I'm going to put a cap on it at 250 and do something ever so slightly different under a new name and kind of just move forward from there. Um, Because again, a lot of people are like, why would you change the name? How are they going to find it? And it's like, well, I don't have like a, a social media handle for the show. Like everything I do is just under my umbrella. So I feel like they're going to find it, you know, and if not, build it up and start again when it make it harder for myself than it needs to be but <laughs> yeah sometimes though just uh you know i've got a mate who's um who's a comedian and he talks about he's got this thing about a, he calls it a flaming hot dog and if he's in a gig that's not going very well then he'll just you know just drop something that's really really bizarre and he says like sometimes in life you just need to throw a flaming hot dog into the mix and Love just it. and just you know just peculiar it up do something different turn the other way and you know sometimes just you know not even rebranding just starting afresh and saying boom i'm doing this now there's a lot of power in that you know there is something as well as the worries about you know people not being able to find it that's also quite exciting you know it's like what's this thing going to be right well the idea that i actually did have um is only doing live shows like the only podcasts that i do are live events Uh, and you if you're at that show you see it you hear it you experience it if you don't that's it um and that's kind of an idea that I'm toying with because I've just been loving the Q and A's that I've been doing so much. Like, you know, after a year of this, and this is awesome, but like after a year of being on zoom, just kind of like removed and detached from the guest and from the audience to then just be on stage with someone that you respect and admire. And they're sat right next to you. And there's a hundred or so people in the room and there's, there's an atmosphere and there's a moment that occurs, which is unique you know, I did this six day tour with Keith Buckley and every single night was different. You know, we, the themes and the topics were loosely the same, but the whole approach and the way we kind of went about exploring these areas changed every night, depending on the room and the people and the energy in it. And I just live for that shit so much. And that's a way of truly meeting and cultivating an audience as well. Like, you know, if you put a podcast up (coughs) and 5,000 people hear it, that's great. But there's not that same rapport that you've built with those hundred people in that room that night. And I do feel like less is more when you're trying to be like an independent creative. Um, there's a guy who does it exceptionally well in America whose podcast I love Dean Del Rey is his name. And he has this idea that and it might not be his original concept, but he has this phrase that all you need is a thousand fans like hardcore. I'm not talking about followers or listeners, but if you have a thousand people in your life that buy everything you put out, you know, support everything you do, you can easily exist off that. Um, And so that for me is an interesting idea. So it's like rather than putting these digital conversations into the internet and hitting all those people all over the world, do I look at just doing live Q&As all over the world with smaller numbers of people and building that thing like really from a grassroots level up? (coughs) Because it just, it hits differently. (coughs) Excuse me. It's not the COVID, I hope it hits differently to an audio podcast, which is its own special, amazing thing, which uh, has totally reignited my love of, of audio. Like, you know, cause I used to be a radio guy and fell out of love with that when I lost my job on there. I was like, fuck radio. And then podcasting comes around and it's like, oh my God, this beautiful free medium where you just talk and connect and, you know, no topics off limits and there's no time limit. And it's amazing. But I do feel 
like I've maybe taken that medium as far as I am meant or, or need or want to take it. But that's just one thought. Yeah, I get that, man. I really get that. And I think when you have the type of conversations that you do on your show, if you can do that with a room full of people, then you can really connect to everyone in that room. You know, I can, I, I can see why that would be important and I can see why that would be addictive. And, you know, I have podcasts that I listen to where I sit and I take in every word and I have podcasts that I listen to when I do the washing up, you know, yeah. and sometimes I'll let's go back and listen to one again because I think, you know what? I didn't show that the respect because I was doing the washing up and then the kids came in and I paused it and then I left it running. And so sometimes we have these really different chats and like you say, it just goes out into the ether and you don't even know if it, people are how they're consuming it, you know, but if you're in that, in that room, then I can see why that would be, um, yeah, why that would be important for the people there and for yourself doing it. And what you were saying then as well, that really kind of jumped out to me is that would also help you explore and maintain that level of authenticity we are talking about. Because if your show is changing slightly every night and you don't know what's coming, you have to rely on you. You have to rely on your instinct. You have to rely on what you're going to say in the moment to re react as it happens. And for me, that's when the, the magic happens. The best episodes I do are not the ones where I've kind of got a bit nervous and rehearsed it in my head in the shower before I hit record they're the ones where you just kind of go into something and you find yourself talking about the things you never really expected to and it goes somewhere you didn't really think it would and that's that's the beauty of these sort of these deep conversations isn't it yeah I just need to find the guest to go on the road with me and like I had a really beautiful run with the Sanchez guys and and that story kind of was you know really nice for me, full circle moment because I grew up loving that show and then had Dayton on my podcast, had Pritchard on, had Joycey, had Pancho, had all four of them on. I don't think any other show in the world has done that. And then I got them back together for some live shows. And it was the first time in over a decade they'd all been on stage. And like that was just this beautiful evolution of what a podcast can start out as and then where that can end up. And it's the same with like jesse leach i did one live event with him and that is the, really the root and the seed for stoke the fire this other show that we now do and i did this run with keith and you know there's there's talk at the moment of going to australia and canada with that and doing runs of dates in those two territories that hasn't been confirmed yet but you know it's being discussed and i just feel like when you're out on the road and you're developing these relationships not just with the artists that you're talking to but their fan base you know, and so people really are kind of discovering me through their appreciation for another thing, whether that's a musician or like a, you know, a collective of stunts men or whatever you want to call Dirk Sanchez. But they're kind of discovering me because they'll see, oh, it's an evening with Keith Buckley and a few people each night will come with a pre-existing familiarity of me. But really what I found with a lot of these events is a lot of people who are coming are fans of the artist and they've never heard of my show before in my in their life. And, um, and so that is a really interesting challenge for me every night to sort of prove my worth to these strangers. Cause you know, I would understand if I went to see a Q and a with somebody that I adore, my initial thought as everybody's is, I don't care who you are, is who's this prick that's about to interview him. Do you know what I mean? Because there's this possessiveness that we all get over people that we like, where we think, oh, I wish it was me asking those questions or it should be this person, like this podcast host that I love. And we all put our projections onto the stranger on stage. And, you know, he's the kind of, he's the target of a lot of inner attack. And I feel it when people come into these events, I see it. I, you know, they go, who the fuck is this guy? And then every night you do what I do, what I do. And then they go, you know, at the end and buy a book. Like they would go and buy a 
copy of Life in the Stocks Volume 1, because Volume 2 isn't out yet, from the merch table at the end of the night. And I'd be like, that's the ultimate testament to what I'm doing. Because you've come in here a stranger and not knowing what I'm about. You've seen just a conversation. That's all I've done is conduct a conversation with somebody that you respect and love. And at the end of that, you've gone and supported what I do, you know, with a token of your appreciation by buying a book. And that for me is like the ultimate method to embedding in kind of like a grassroots level a fan i don't even want to say a fan base but like just you're finding like-minded people who are going to just back you and support you um and really like appreciate and enjoy the work that you're doing rather than just a casual listener who's like oh, i only listen to the podcast episodes with guests that i like that you have on and that's fine too you know i understand that with an interview-based podcast and you'll know it too when you get a bigger name you'll get way more listens. That's just the nature of it, where often the big names are never the best conversations. You know, often it's the total like unknown that might be the best because they just turn up, they got nothing to lose. They're having, you know, there's no PR press officer in their ear saying, don't say this, don't say that, like stay on the album topics. So yeah, again, I'm rambling, sorry, trying to rein it in, but I feel like just that experience that I've had in its different forms with the different artists that I've worked with it's so limitless as to what you can do and really like just connect with people. And, and from their point of view, like I see how much their, their followers and their fans appreciate being in those intimate environments with them. And it yeah. fuck it's, there's nothing like it in the world. It's not like a gig you know, where there's like instruments on and, and, and there's like, you know, a fucking a hypnotic mass gathering a kind of sense to those moments, which are special in their own right. But, these little Q and A things, like they just they hit differently, and they're so awesome. They just feel special. If it's you know an interesting person, <laughs> it might be awful if the guest is rubbish or the host is rubbish. But if I'm if I'm hosting it, it's guaranteed to be good. <laughs> Mate, there you go. Yeah, it's um, it's you know those that that feeling, that feeling of of doing something special and putting it out there, and people finding it special. That's that's good for your mental health, man. That'll buzz you up, won't it? You know, that feeling of connection and, and getting that, that positive feedback and putting yourself out there. And yeah, that's all like really, really um, lovely stuff, mate. And did you do a live thing with Frank? Was that you? No, no, no. That, I know you're talking about. That was Nick. Yeah, was Nick. Nick, Nick's yeah. a buddy of mine as well. Yeah, but um, no, that was sick what they did together. Was, yeah, that was really... Uh, really... Those, are the, those are those moments, man. Again, like it's just, they'll give you goosebumps for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I did. I've done a live show. I did a, like a charity thing and um, we did it in for a local uh, children's mental health or young person's mental health support thing. And we got a load of people down. I had a couple of, couple of guests at a local author called Rachel, who's a, a runner, Rachel Brown. And we had um, Chris Kirkland, who used to play for Liverpool, who came down and we did this like live thing and recorded it all. And um, that was, that was sick, man. That was a, a special experience. So I kind of, I, yeah, I know where you're, where you're going from, where you're coming from, man. I know, know what's going on with that, man. It's a, yeah, it's a cool thing. Cool thing. But dude, I'm really excited to see what you, what you do and where you're going to pop up next. And it sounds like, um, you know, <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? Where's he going to pop up next? Where's he gonna pop I like, up I like that. Um, I like that. That's what I put out, uh, is that uncertainty. And it's fun because sometimes when I'm announcing stuff or like teasing an announcement, which is the worst, but sometimes you got to do it. And I like that often I'll be putting stuff out there and people are kind of just like, well, I have no idea what this is going to be because it could be anything. And I love that. Like, I love just creating that level of uncertainty and like almost limitless potential without 
going on about how fucking awesome I am. That's not what I mean by that. But like just the idea that if I was to say, like, for instance, I'm going to host Monster Trucks Live. I love that everybody who I know is like, what? But yeah, of course you are. You know, like that instant kind of one-two reaction of like, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> so and, and, I will continue to surprise, I hope. Oh, mate, I love it. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think it's really good for just to, you know, to demonstrate that you can do whatever you want to do to some extent you know you can't you don't have to just because your job is one thing doesn't mean you can't have another job that is another thing and that keeps us out of that box it keeps us out being plugged into that system that um that we were talking about earlier but um yeah i'm excited for it man and i can't wait to check your book out as well because that's um yeah that's sick and i hope that getting it all finished and parking it to one side is an element of uh of closure on that that chapter for you as well mate but um thank you very much for for coming on and chatting and um i enjoyed that immensely mate thank you very much for your time me too mate seamless and uh yeah you're a great host and i dig the show and i'm, I'm grateful for the invite to come on Mental podcast. Please like and subscribe. The space star.